0: Sure, I'm on. Yep. Isn't it great to be in God's house today? Amen. When not worship great today? Give the Lord a hand. I'll tell you. I want to just thank you for being here this morning. It's been a great weekend for our students. Uh, they just had an incredible day now. And those of you that are watching online, let me thank you for joining us this morning. And those of you that are over in Overflow as well. We are continuing our series called Above and Beyond. And let me just take a moment to thank Cody. Cody uh, did a great job last Sunday. It was great to have him and Brian and the kids back home. I was kidding him later. I told him I was like a proud dad. Uh, he just brought an incredible message. And I told him, I said, man, you're still talking fast, but you've slowed down a whole lot. And, uh, but it was great to have him home. This morning, I want you to take God's word. Turn to the little book of Titus, if you will. We're going to look in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 today. As I want to share with you a message this morning talking about the empowering work of grace. In this little book, what Paul does, Paul really sets down and begins to write and tell us something of what a dynamic community of God ought to look like, really what the church ought to look like, how you and I ought to live our lives today. And what Paul does in the midst of this, he kind of just stops for a moment and he has a worship and praise service because he begins to talk about the, the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he talks about that empowering grace. That every one of us can experience. Let's just look at the text this morning. Let's begin reading in verse 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope to appear of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. One of the things I want you to hear me say this morning is God is not mad at you and God is not angry at you. Can I tell you we live in a world today that for some reason it seems as though when trials and tribulations come in our life we have hard times in our life. Oftentimes, we want to think that God is mad at us, that we've done something for God somehow to bring his justice and judgment upon us. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done, no matter what you have said, no matter even what you think, no matter what you may be going through today, God is not angry and God is not mad at you. Now, I will tell you that God is angry and mad at sin. And the reason why that is true is because God is a just, God is a holy God. And God's predisposition for all humanity has always been from a position of love and kindness and grace. But all of us today need to understand that grace is expensive. Grace costs something. Grace is not cheap. You see, grace costs God his only son. God saw a problem that you and I could not solve. So God made the choice to solve that problem, and it impacted every one of us. And if we're gonna be honest, and we're gonna take the mask off today and be real, every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, we all deserve hell. Whether we like it or not, that's what we all deserve. But because of God's previous predisposition toward us was one of love and grace and kindness, and yet at the very same time, he is a just God. And if God did not judge sin, if God was not a just God, then he would be inconsistent with his very own nature. So love and kindness and grace are not polar opposites when it comes to God's holiness. So the question is, how did God solve the problem? Well, because there was no human that was perfect. You've got to remember when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, what happened is the sacrifice literally become contaminated. So what did God do? God provided his only one son, Jesus Christ. And he came to be the satisfaction for the righteousness of God. Now, why did he do that? Why did he give his only begotten son? Because of love and because of kindness and grace toward us. You see, what happened is when God the Father saw the problem that man could not solve for himself, That motivation of love and that motivation of kindness and yet at the same time he had to satisfy the holy righteous demands that would never change because if they did he would no longer be God. So he gave his only begotten son for the sacrifice of all humanity. Listen to what John would say. He became the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, when you think about that, you've got to stop and realize that what God actually did is God actually punished himself. Because, you see, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's what we call the Trinity, three in one. God literally punished himself. Rather than withdraw his love and his grace and his mercy from us. God hurt himself, if you would. Why? Because God didn't want to dismin it. He didn't want to diminish that love. He didn't want to diminish the grace. He didn't want to diminish the kindness toward us. So when we talk about God's grace, it goes beyond human comprehension. It's hard to comprehend it. Let your mind begin to just kind of swirl around it, and you cannot comprehend all of the marvelous things that God has done for us in His grace. So the question I would want to raise is, then, what is grace? Well, out of this little text, Paul gives us five incredible truths of what grace does for your life when you're saved, and how to truly live a life above and beyond. First thing I want you to notice is that God's grace saves us. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, let me remind you that grace is not permission. Grace is not a license for you to sin. Paul said, can I, continue in grace? can I continue in sin that grace may abound? And what did he say? God forbid. And what Paul does here, he gives us this incredible portrait of what grace is. Listen to verse 11 again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now let me pause for a moment because there are some today who want to take that verse out of its context, especially people who are really caught up in universalism and believe that everybody's going to be saved. That you don't have to repent, you don't have to confess or do anything. He's not saying that because Christ came and died on the cross, therefore, everybody is saved. You don't have to do a thing, you don't have to repent, you don't have to do anything. No, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that it is offered. He brings salvation to all humanity, to the world, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what we call the finished work, it's what we call the gospel. But understand that there has to be a moment in your life where you receive. There has to be a time in your life where you confess and acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I can't work or earn my way into the kingdom of God. But by his grace and his love and his mercy and his love toward me, he goes to the cross. He dies. He sheds his blood. He goes into a tomb three days later victoriously. He comes out of that grave. Why? That I can live in the power of that grace. So there has to be a moment in time in your life where you confess and repent of those sins. He offers it. He brings salvation to all people, but you've got to receive it. Now, there's two observations that come out of this. One, it implies that grace comes to the world through one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Through a perfect sacrifice. Think about it. Through the embodiment of God-loving through a broken, lost world who could not earn their way or work their way into the kingdom of God. He says, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? So he comes into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. He offers this incredible gift, and there is only one way whereby man can ever be saved. It's not because you're Baptist or Methodist or Church of Christ or Pentecost or Charismatic or any other denomination. It is by and through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. There's a second implication, that if you want to know and experience the saving grace of God, it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand this morning, listen, that your freedom, your liberation, if you will, you don't have to perform. You don't have to perform. This is not a performance religion. You don't have to feel guilt and, oh, you beat yourself up. Understand that when you are saved, all of that's under the blood of the Lamb of God. And if you have turned from your sins and you have confessed and that word confess simply means to agree with god i agree with you that number one i'm a sinner that i cannot earn or work my way into the kingdom of god and that that grace is right now available for you if you're not a follower of jesus christ right now jesus says come you want to know and experience that loving kindness you can come you want to experience the richness of his grace that he has for you you can experience right now If you want to be delivered, listen to me, from all of the pain and the agony of being beaten up over what you haven't been and what you should be, you can experience right now in the person of Jesus Christ. So when he says that the grace of God has appeared to all men, God is saying, I'm not hiding this from you. This is not a treasure hunt where hopefully you're going to discover the treasure of how to give your life to Christ and no, it's, it, God is wide open with this. He, he, he's, it's not complicated. He didn't make it that way. The source of our hope and the source of our freedom is in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's available to you right now, this day, this moment. Why? And I love this word in Scripture because God lavished his grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. For You you know why I love that word lavish? Because it means it's, it is brimful and overflowing. You can't contain it. That's what Jesus did for us. So first of all, grace saves. Secondly, grace trains us. Look at verse 2. He says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Family, listen to me this morning. Grace is not passive. It is not passive. Grace is not permission. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, dot, 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 to what? To train us. What is the idea of training? The idea of training means it is providing instruction. That it changes the way that you think. It gives you information and thus you create new habits and new behavior. So what he basically is telling us here is that this grace... When it's real within your life, grace inspires us to holiness. That's why I said again, grace is not passive. Grace does not allow us to keep sinning, doing what I want to do, thinking what I want to think. Grace is always attached to holiness. The reason why that he poured out his love and kindness toward us is because his son took care of the problem and it was a sin problem. We were alienated from God because of sin. You cannot hear me. You cannot one-off grace from holiness. You can't do it. Grace is our motivation for development. It's the motivation for spiritual growth. Grace helps you make the right decision. So what does it train us to do? We'll go back and look at the text. It trains us, and here's the word I want you to circle, to renounce. Renounce what? You see, this is a strong, oh, it is strong rejection of ungodliness. You see, what grace does, it motivates you to renounce. Why? Because of the goodness and the loving kindness of our great God. Do you know what grace does? Grace creates this incredible bond between us and God. When Paul wrote here, when he said that grace of God has appeared to us, training us to renounce, what he's actually saying here is that all of this great love and all of this great kindness that God has lavished upon us, all of this forgiveness that has been given to us, it's like you would say, based upon all that, then why would you want to continue to lie? Why would you want to continue to have an affair Why would you want to continue not to serve and use your talents and gifts for the glory of God? Why would you still want to beat people up and dismiss them and be nasty and jealous, if you will? Why? Because that's all inconsistent with the love of God. And if God has cascaded that love and that kindness and grace upon you, it teaches us that you and I ought to be grateful for this marvelous grace. So on the one hand, it teaches you to say no, but on the other hand, it teaches you also to say yes. Why? Because God's grace, listen to me, sets you free to say yes to self-control, to righteousness, and godliness. Remember, I've, I've told you ever since I've been your pastor, there's only one thing that you control, and that's your choices. You ever been around people that, that when you, you listen to them and, and, and they cuss all the time and they take God's name in vain and do all this kind of stuff, and yet... It is so funny to me. I can walk into the presence and all of a sudden that stops. Oh, you're the preacher. I can't talk that way. And I I sit there and I go, wait a minute. So you stopped it. You controlled it all because of my presence. Didn't really change your heart. It's just you're controlling it. You see, all of us make choices in life. Every single one of us. And every one of us, if we are living and understanding what grace has done for us, it trains us, it motivates us to say yes. Why? Because we're attached to the loving Heavenly Father who keeps lavishing upon us His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness, and He just keeps bringing it upon us. So the Gospel of the Great teaches us how to live, and it teaches how to live right now in this present age. Here's the third thing that it does for us. God's grace enables us. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now catch that when he says, we're waiting for our blessed hope. What grace does, the grace of God brought about salvation. Your change, your transformation. All of that came through the person of Jesus Christ. So full of grace and truth from him, we receive grace upon grace, grace upon grace, grace upon grace. In other words, that becomes the focal point. Who becomes the focal point of our deliverance? Well, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our hope. He's our assurance. He becomes everything to us. The song we sing, we go, nothing better than you, Lord. Do we really believe that? Do we live that? Do we act that out in our life? I mean, what he's saying is he's everything to us. So that right now, you and I live right here upon this earth, in this present age, so between the moment that you and I are saved and the moment that either we die or the moment that Jesus appears in glory, he is our blessed hope. What should that do for us? Well, let me show you something. Looking at that day, waiting for that day, it enables us right now to live for his glory. Can I just tell you there's not a whole lot of preaching when it comes to this today? And I'm I'm going to tell you something. I think one of the major problems in preaching today, and I've been guilty of it, and there's a whole lot of other preachers are today, it is what I call too terminal and too contemporary. You say, what do you mean by that is? When you read the New Testament, the motivation behind every single message that was taught was eternity in view. They lived served worshiped in the excitement and the glow of Jesus returning we've lost that today church We don't get up of a morning with an anticipation that as I live and walk and serve and do my job and go to class and do all the things that I do, man, this could be the very day that the blessed hope, Jesus Christ, is going to come back and the old skies are going to burst wide open and the rapture is going to take place and the church is going to go home to be with him. If I live that way, and I'm talking about me, if I live that way, serve that way, gave that way, I would be a different man. And so would you. We don't live with that today. You cannot read the page of the epistles in the New Testament without seeing the shadow of eternity. What would happen if we as the body of Christ, I'm talking about from teenagers to senior adults, that you went to work and you did your job because you knew this could be the very day that Jesus would turn? That you go to class today knowing that this could be the day that Jesus would return? You see, what Paul is saying is that this hope this encourages us and motivates us and enables us because the one who set me free is coming to get me. Think about it. That his grace, it saves and it trains and it enables every single one of us. Think, think about what Jesus has done for you and forgiving you of your sins, taking away your guilt, who has answered your prayers, who has healed your broken bodies, who has given you the power to overcome addictions. One day you're going to see him in glory. And when the Bible talks about the blessed hope, he's not talking about blessed speculation. And you want to get me on my, my high horse and upset me? It's when I hear people say to me, well now, pastor, I hope I'm going to go there someday. Or I love this one. You know, we're all working for the same place. I got news for you, I ain't working for that place. Amen? Right. I'm not working for it. I can't work to get to the kingdom of God. And I want you to understand something. What what Paul is saying is that this is a blessed hope. It's a confidence. And with that confidence, it enables you and I right now to stay focused on who he wants you to be and how he wants you to live. That grace that saved you enables every single one of us right now to stay focused. So that I can live this life focused on the future of the one who is coming. And then I want you to see, fourthly, God's grace transform us. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Notice, who are zealous, zealous for good works. You might write in your Bible, man, circle the word redeem. It's a word that when you translate out of the Greek, it means to be set free by the payment of a price. What was the price that was paid to set you free? The life of Jesus Christ. He purchased you. Why did he purchase us? Because he wanted a people, literally, for his own possession. Think about it for a moment. Knowing what Jesus Christ has done for every single one of us should, and it ought to cause you and I to be willing to pay a price in my life and your life that you and I are conforming to the will of God that's why I said a few moments ago that grace is not passive he purchased us he died for us he gave his life and he purchased us with the shed blood of the lamb of God first john three two to five says that we're going to be in his presence and we're when he appears we're going to be like him verse 23 says and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure What does that mean it means one day if you and I are going to go be with him in heaven and we are going to be like him, then while we're still down on this earth, we ought to be working and moving toward looking more like him. That is in his holiness. Remember, grace is a motivation that brings about transformation that drives you. It's not because the staff stands up here and says, we need this or that. You know, we cared we Brandon because he wanted to be up and sing in the choir today. I told everybody I felt sorry for those that had to stand around him, but that's okay. But you know what I love about him? Is there is a passion that even though if he's like me, neither one of us can sing. I know because I've stood beside him and he stood beside me. But you know what? He lifts his voice of praise. Whether he's on key or off key whether he's pitchy or not. And you know why? Because I know this young man. And he loves Jesus. What well, I want you to realize that grace motivates us to get out of our shell, to look beyond our preferences and our likes and our dislikes, and our focus is not on man. Our focus is on God. You know what worship is? Worship is always about the audience of One. And that's Jesus. Grace motivates us and it drives us. Last of all, grace enables us. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Here's the line I want you to get. Who are zealous for good works. Did you catch that? Do you understand this morning? Listen to me. People who have tasted God's amazing grace are the most motivated people I've ever met in my life. You don't have to beg them. You don't have to plead with them. There is this natural, spontaneous, it's like this bubbling up, this artesian well. People who have tasted the grace of God are motivated. And I really and truly believe that how in the world can you and I not be motivated when we understand the greatness of God's love toward us? Paul would later write in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God. It is a result not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this line. For good works. You see, what he's saying here is is that there is a motivation to do good works. There is this zealous. Why? Because God has lavished his grace upon grace upon grace. In other words, you don't mail it in because you and I have now been intoxicated by the mercy of God. It's a privilege to worship. It's a privilege to serve. It's a privilege to give. It's a privilege. We have been set free. We don't have this legalistic anchor in which we're dragging behind us. And the question that I would ask is, where is the sweetness of the grace of God within our lives? Where is it? Where is that bubbling up, if you will, like an artesian well of gratitude? for what God has done for us? Where is the service that puts the spotlight upon the old rugged cross and the empty tomb? I'll tell you what, church. If there ever can come a time in your life and my life where we can lay aside our own agendas and we begin to realize and understand that everything that I have in this life is a gift. From a gracious God. And because of that, everything, everything is dedicated to Him as an act of service. And I want you to know that if you're watching online or you're sitting here in this room this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that goodness and that love and that grace is available to you today. Why? Because God lavished his grace upon you. He came to deliver. He came to change. He came to transform. He came to save you, to redeem you. And I want you to understand, you can do that right now. There's nothing magical about it. I said that a while ago that it's, it, God doesn't hide this. You say, well, what do I do? If you recognize and realize that you are lost, that you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, all you've got to do is pray that simple prayer, saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I turn from my sins right now, this moment, and I trust you to come into my heart and life and to save me and to be the Lord of my life. And I got great news for you. According to the word of God, not Rick Fry, but according to the word of God, (laughs) he just cascaded that love and grace aboundingly upon you lavished it upon you and you gave your heart and life to jesus and he will forever change that grace that saves you keeps working in your life every single day so that as a follower of jesus christ those of us that are saved maybe we got saved years ago maybe we have got a little lax if you will maybe we are forgotten all that god has done for us then my challenge to you this morning is this embrace the empowering work of god's grace in your life because it will motivate you to live for him it'll motivate you to serve him it'll motivate you in your worship it'll motivate you to do everything that you do not because somebody's begging you or coercing you but because you are thankful for a god who loved you who died for you and everything you do you now do out of the motivation that one day i will stand before him and i'll behold him Church, if we became that kind of church, if I become that kind of man, I got news for you. Things will change. And I pray that we will live life and serve Jesus in the coming days with the view of eternity in mind. Will you stand? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Father, I come to you this morning and I pray today, oh Lord Jesus, motivate us, challenge us. Help us to see that amazing grace that you have lavished upon us, that love. I pray today for those that are here, that are watching, that those that are in this room, those are in the overflow, that maybe today is the day they need to trust Jesus as Lord and as Savior. They need to give their heart and life to Him. I pray for our students who had an incredible weekend, and I pray that many of them have, lives have been changed because just maybe during that time, they thought about how amazing that love and grace is in their life. Father, we're living in a world that is ever-changing around us, and it is pushing us further and further away from truth. I believe the only way that we can survive is because we walk daily with you. And we are reminded of that grace that motivates and challenges and pushes us and motivates us because we have eternity in view. For those that you're calling to be a part of this church by letter, by statement, by baptism, I pray that today by faith they would step out and say, I surrender. I come. Not to join a church. Not to move a letter. But to deposit their life to be used to advance the kingdom of God. Speak to hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.